And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is December the 8th, 2022. And the last couple of days we've been talking about uh, Pearl Harbor and the, uh, the Japanese attack. Uh, which took place stateside December 6th and Hawaii December 7th. And it was a Sunday morning, and as is the case with most military bases, uh, a lot of folks uh, were off. In fact, many of the soldiers are still in the bed when the attack happened. December 8th, which was the day after the attack based on... uh, Hawaii time, two days after the attack based on stateside time, is the day that Franklin D. Roosevelt, 32nd president, delivered the famous Day of Infamy speech to a joint session of Congress. Now, the Empire of Japan attacked the U.S. military bases at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii and the Philippines and declared war on the U.S. and the British Empire. The, uh, the speech is best known for the first line. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. He began his six-minute, roughly six-and-a-half-minute speech, wherein he asked Congress to uh, declare war. And, of course, they did. The... Uh, 353 Imperial Japanese Navy Air Service aircraft took part in that surprise attack. They also had a number of submarines. They liked to use the uh, the two-man submarines, one of which was sunk by the USS Ward um, the morning before the attack began, which should have been a, uh, a clue that something was afoot, but of course we were not at war at that time. Uh, 33 minutes after Roosevelt's speech, Congress declared war against Japan. Only one representative, Jeanette Rankin, voted against declaring war. The speech was broadcast live by radio and attracted the largest audience in American radio history. Over 81% of the people uh, tuned in to hear that speech. The... uh, Samuel Irving Rosenman, served as an advisor to Roosevelt, described the scene in Congress as the most dramatic spectacle um, in the House of Representatives. You know, the for one of the few times, not the only time, but one of the few times in history, the uh, the country was united. Whether they liked the president or not, they didn't like the fact that over 2,000 Americans were killed by the Japanese in that surprise attack. Now also on December 40, 1941, on this date, December 8th, Japanese simultaneously invaded Shanghai International Settlement, Malaya, Thailand, Hong Kong, the Philippines, and the Dust East Indies. The... Uh, Clearly, they had been planning this for quite some time. 
then uh, just got an email. Don't forget 1980. Well, it hired new ranks at the level of um, Pearl Harbor. But uh, December 8, 1980 was the day John Lennon was murdered by Mark David Chapman in front of the Dakota, New York City. The uh, And it's also 2019 was the date of the first confirmed case of COVID-19 in China. That, of course, um, they didn't tell anybody about. You know, there's been so much um, come to light over the years um, in regard to uh, our entry into uh, World War II. There's a large um, group who firmly believes that uh, Roosevelt knew uh, was anticipating the Japanese were going to attack. He didn't know when, and he didn't know where, but he had been trying to force them into a corner. Uh, the American people were not going to agree to go to war just to help the British. However, once we were attacked, uh, anybody who didn't want to go to war was looked at uh, as somehow disloyal. The the sad thing is um, is after the fact there was um, a lot of questions about how we were surprised so badly. There's been a number of investigations. I think I heard 10 into why we were surprised so badly. Now, there's been another school of thought that you can't trust anything that comes from the government. And this administration, I would tend to, to probably agree. But what really got that rolling was some of uh, Nixon's actions as president, which made generations of Americans unwilling to put any trust in our leaders. But the rumors about whether or not um, Roosevelt knew about the attack started almost immediately after the bombing itself. In fact, Thomas Dewey, Republican candidate for president in 1944, tried to turn it into a campaign issue. He and several Republican senators were adamant that uh, the Japanese codes had been cracked before Pearl Harbor. That FDR knew what uh, was happening before uh, and what led up to Pearl Harbor. And uh, the claim of Dewey was rather than be reelected because Roosevelt was running for a third, unprecedented third term. 
He should be impeached for treason. Now, Dewey was forced to uh, back off on that because Army Chief of Staff General Marshall provided evidence that Roosevelt didn't know anything about it. And partially because Dewey knew if he were to make those accusations public, the Japanese government would realize their codes had been compromised, which would make them change their codes and would cause some hardship to American operations. But at the end of the day, it is true we had cracked a number of their codes, uh, especially Code Purple. And there's also a great deal of evidence that Roosevelt knew more than he let on. Now, in the face of it, there is some truth to the rumor. We, as I said, we had prior warning of an attack, both for notes um, we intercepted as well as notes the British cracked and passed on. Now, given that Marshall warned Pacific Army commanders the U.S. desires Japan commits the first overt act, um, it's clear we were doing everything in our power to force the Japanese to act. So how hard it is to believe that Roosevelt allowed the attack to occur in order to bring a vocally isolationist Congress and public into supporting a war against Japan? And since Japan was allied with Germany, certainly any declaration of war would include Germany. Now, we had, in fact, broken the Japanese code, some of the Japanese codes, uh, diplomatic codes. And during the pre-war negotiations with Japan, Roosevelt often knew what the Japanese were prepared to offer and willing to settle for. Uh, and the messages sent December 6th to their embassy made it clear to Roosevelt the Japanese government was planning to declare war on the U.S., so he knew something was afoot. Now, the Japanese government wasn't in the habit of informing its diplomats about planned military strikes, at least not in any detail. So while we knew the Japanese diplomats had been instructed to deliver a certain message to the U.S. government at 1 p.m. on December 7th and then destroy their cipher machine and secret documents, we knew that something big was about to happen. Uh, but we didn't know where exactly. You know, the Pacific's a big place, and a lot of targets available to the Japanese. The Philippines, which they did invade, Dutch East Indies, Singapore. Admiral Stark recognized that the Japanese were planning to attack somewhere, but it, uh, he told his subordinates it could be either against the Philippines, Thai, or Cray Peninsula, or maybe Borneo. Now, the problem is... Our military failed to take advantage of what little warning it did have, whether through bad luck or, in, or incompetence. Uh, I mean, quite frankly, Pearl should have been on a high alert. But instead, it was business as usual. It was Christmas coming up. There were, you know, the usual Sunday morning um, lowering of um, alertness. Now, without the Japanese attack, a lot of people believe we would never have declared war on Japan. And most people point to the August 1941 resolution to keep draftees on duty for more than 12 months, 
was a measure that passed Congress by the narrowest of margins, 203 to 202. But anti-war sentiment was beginning to to uh, run its course, especially in the wake of the German U-boat attacks on American vessels. In September 1941, a poll showed 67% of the American public felt the U.S. should declare, should risk war rather than allow Japan to grow more powerful. 70% felt the U.S. should risk war with Germany. And many members of Roosevelt's cabinet and the, the press felt the president would have no difficulty getting a declaration of war against Japan following the the breakdown in peace negotiations in late November. But Roosevelt refused to push the issue. He wanted Japan to make the first move. Now, the major um, thing to keep in mind with looking at all these polls, while those willing to talk to, to the poll takers like to rattle sabers and hear themselves talk, when push comes to shove, how many are going to step up and sign on a dotted line to go serve? Not as many as you might think. The, uh, you know, I wanted to believe that Roosevelt knew about the Pearl Harbor attack, but didn't say anything. You have to believe he had better information than any of his subordinates in the government or the military. Information has since been destroyed since nobody had been able to find it. Now, quite often the president does know things that Others don't. With President Trump, there's a clear pattern. He knew more than uh, he let on. But you also have to believe Roosevelt was willing to sacrifice most of the Pacific fleet and maybe one of the most important American naval bases in the Pacific, which would cripple our operations against Japan for the next two years. Uh, it was thought... In that two-year period, if our fleet was out of action, Japan would likely have taken over the Pacific and begun operations against the American West Coast. Now, if you've read my book about um, 1941, uh, there was a lot of activity against the West Coast. And in fact, there was something known as the Battle of Los Angeles, which, uh, and all my books are going up on uh, Amazon Kindle um, shortly. You'll be able to, to read them. I think I've got 60 published, another 20 or 30 ready to go. Now, Vocally, there was public support for a measure the public already uh, said they believed in on a uh, two-to-one margin. And you have to believe that Roosevelt, who'd been the assistant secretary of the Navy, who always claimed if he hadn't gotten into politics, he'd like to have been an admiral, whose first campaign song for president was Anchors Away. You have to believe he would have supported the deaths of thousands of U.S. sailors for a few extra votes in Congress for a measure that most people thought would pass easily. Now, keeping in mind um, that the... Um, 
the public in general is always ready for you to go fight the war. They don't want to go themselves. Um, I come from a family that was military as far back as I've been able to trace the family tree. We've been involved in every war this country's had, except uh, now we had some people involved in Iraq. I was uh, too old and broken by that time to, for me to continue. Uh, in fact, that's the reason that I uh, um, went back to school and trained to do something else because of the injuries. Um, the uh, the truth of the matter is nobody wants to uh, actually see a war get started because you can't control the collateral damage but the we used to go to a local steakhouse about once a week. And there was always a couple of guys sitting there, one of whom had been a sergeant in the military who used to brag about the fact he told the colonel and the generals what to do. And until you've been out there in the jungle under the trees, you really don't know what goes on and just how draining it can be to conduct operations in uh, tropical environments. My first duty assignment was in Panama, which I had always been told was a vacation spot that everybody wanted to be assigned to. Well, let me tell you, um, it may be a nice place to vacation if you're there for a week or two. But when you go to the, the jungle, oh, dark 30 Monday morning, and you come back, oh, dark 30 uh, Thursday night, and spend Friday getting ready to go back, it does tend to have um, quite a draining effect. I had a number of soldiers who, uh, in fact, I had one. He was crazy as a road lizard. Now, you also have to think about the, the legal ramifications of having a military base in a foreign country. We have something called the Status of Forces Agreement which basically laid out how laws would be enforced. But um, there was a loophole in regard to Panama. I discovered one of my soldiers was married to three women at the same time. But it wasn't legally considered bigamy. He was married to a, a female on the west coast of Panama, married to one in the zone, and married to one on the east coast of Panama. But because of this loophole in the status of forces agreement, because I checked out, I asked Jag, um, he had not committed bigamy. 
and all three got ID cards, and they all three shopped at the commissary in the PX. Now, getting back to whether or not Roosevelt knew anything about uh, what was going to happen, there's always been a question, was there a back door to World War II? Now, this has been talked about by what are called revisionist historians. And according to this view, President Roosevelt, uh, inhibited by the American public opposition to direct U.S. involvement in the, in the war and determined to save Great Britain from a Nazi victory in Europe, manipulated events in the Pacific to provoke a Japanese attack on our base at Pearl Harbor, which forced us to enter the war on the side of Britain. Now, there's always been the question, could the Germans have overrun uh, Britain? And the answer to that is militarily, yes. They had over a hundred uh, experienced divisions. Now, the British had, I think, 10 or 15 divisions. The French had over 80 so militarily they should have been matched but then when the French uh, when France fell and left the Brits by themselves could Germany have overrun the island if they did a if they Hitler stopped his fascination with Russia and threw everything against Britain he could have taken um, the island country I'm sure now, getting back to the revisionist case, how did Roosevelt get the uh, the Japanese to attack and prepare the country for war in Europe? According to the revisionist view, key events leading up to the U.S. declaration of war in '41 show that Roosevelt sometimes used, this, used deceitful tactics to increase U.S. involvement gradually and stir up pro-war sentiment in the American public. And so it's believed by many that the circumstances immediately surrounding the attack on Pearl Harbor when looked at in light of Roosevelt's behavior strongly suggest he intentionally provoked that attack. He was having dinner at the time he got the word about the attack and several of his dinner companions said his only comment was, it's about time. As World War II began with Germany's invasion of Poland in 39, Congress and much of the American public continued to favor staying neutral. Now, Germany's invasion of Poland was based on um, the Poles attacking a German installation, which turned out to be um, members of the... Uh, German special operation groups dressing up in Polish uniforms. Now, convinced that um, our involvement in World War I was a mistake, a lot of Americans supported a series of neutrality laws enacted in the 30s to prevent a repetition of the pre-1917 events that drew us into World War I. And though he was aware the majority of Americans wanted us to stay out of the war, Roosevelt was determined to do all he could to prevent a German victory. And on that point of view, he was probably correct. A German victory would have been just the prelude to them attacking us. 
Excuse me. They had, in fact, planned uh, air attacks on New York City. Uh, the plane, uh, the um, the prototype of that plane had been um, built, but um, we overrun the airfields. That was where it was going to be launched from before it could be launched. Now, relying on the public sympathy for Britain and France, he persuaded Congress to revise the 1935 Neutrality Act that prohibited loans and arms sales to belligerent nations. He wanted to allow those two countries to purchase arms on a cash-and-carry basis. That is, on the condition they pay immediately in cash and transport the arms themselves. He argued that revision was the best way to keep both the U.S. out of the war and guarantee a French and... Uh, a British-French victory. But in 1940, when France fell, Roosevelt looked for other ways to prevent Britain's defeat. He raised the, the specter of a German invasion of the Western Hemisphere, and that way he convinced Congress to enact the first peacetime draft in U.S. history. He wanted us to be ready. Now, he wasn't going himself, of course. You know, the, the greatest warmongers, those that no, there's no chance they're going to go. Um, and although he justified the measures necessary for national security, uh, there is a school of thought that it was not purely defensive. In fact, they said it was a major step in preparing the U.S. to enter the war in Europe. At that same time, following negotiations with British Prime Minister Churchill, Roosevelt agreed to transfer 50 World War I-era U.S. destroyers to Britain in exchange for 99-year leases on eight British naval and air bases in the Western Hemisphere. Again, he claimed this was a, a defensive uh, measure, describing it as the most important action in the reinforcement of our national defense since the Louisiana Purchase in 1803. Well, for the revisionists, though, that deal decisively ended our neutrality and made us directly invo our involvement in the war inevitable. This view, they... We're all in agreement with Churchill, who believed the exchange set in motion a process that couldn't be stopped. It was like the elephant getting in the tent. First you put the truck, and once the trunk is in, then the head, and once the head's in, then the body. You can't stop it. Now, support, to support the contention, Roosevelt was secretly plotting to bring us into the war the Revisionist historians point to rhetoric he used during his 1940 re-election campaign. During the contest against uh, Wendell Wilkie, who was the Republican nominee, Roosevelt repeatedly stated his intention to keep America out of the war unless, unless it was attacked by a foreign power. And in response to Wilkie's warnings that the president's re-election to mean wooden crosses for American boys, um who Wilkie claimed were already almost on the transports. and An October surge in the polls had brought Wilkie to within four percentage points of the president. Roosevelt made an unqualified promise to a Boston audience on October 30th. I've said this before, but I'll say it again and again and again. Your boys are not going to be sent into any foreign wars. Now, he didn't explain if the country was attacked by one of the Axis powers, the war would no longer be foreign. And that was an interesting distinction. If we go without any provocation, we're getting into a foreign war. 
But if they attack us, we're defending ourselves. Very interesting distinction. And Roosevelt was a master of uh, such distinctions. With his re-election in 1940, Roosevelt believed he had a blank check to push the country closer and closer to war. In a December fireside chat, which he used to be famous for, he reiterated his determination to keep the country out of fighting, but also emphasized the best path to end this was through unrestricted aid to Britain, declaring we must be the great arsenal of democracy. Now, having won the approval of 80% of his listening audience, he looked for ways to ensure that Britain got the war material the American factories were increasingly able to provide. In response to Churchill's declaration that the moment was fast approaching when Britain no longer be able to pay cash for shipping and other supplies, Roosevelt came up with the idea of the Lend-Lease Program, which authorized the president to provide aid to the British on the condition after the fighting they'd return in kind the guns and ships we loaned to them. According to Roosevelt, that was the same as lending a garden hose to a neighbor to help out, help put a fire out that could burn down your house as well as his. And in the midst of the neighbor's crisis, you wouldn't ask him for the cost of the hose, but you'd lend it to him on the understanding that you'd get it back, or it'd be replaced if it was destroyed once the fire was put out. Another interesting distinction. And although congressional approval and White House implementation of Lend-Lease made the U.S. all but a belligerent in the fighting, it proved insufficient to bring the nation directly into the war. He got a lot of what he wanted, but he didn't get that final step. And throughout 1941, Roosevelt was trying his best to find a convincing rationale for directly entering the European conflict. After the Nazi attack on the Soviet Union in June and incidents in the North Atlantic between German submarines and two American ships, the freighter Robert Moore and the destroyer Greer, Roosevelt ordered the Navy to escort convoys of American and later Allied ships and to shoot German and Italian warships on sight. Now, if that doesn't make you a belligerent, I don't know what does. And despite the existence of an undeclared naval war between Germany and the U.S., Roosevelt hesitated to ask for a formal declaration because most of the American public still wanted neutrality. At this point, according to the revisionist, he believed he could obtain a public consensus in favor of war only if we were attacked by a foreign power. And the final step in the, the case built by the revisionist is Roosevelt allegedly created this consensus that he needed by provoking it the Japanese under the attack on Pearl Harbor. He purposely increased tensions between Washington and Tokyo by introducing embargoes in 1940 and 41 on scrap materials and petroleum products the Japanese needed for its war machine. By the fall of 41, American policymakers had concluded Japan would attack the U.S. fleet in Hawaii in the belief that the U.S. would then seek a settlement in the Pacific, which would free Japan to create an East Asian co-prosperity spear. And although Roosevelt and his closest advisors in the State Department, the War and the Navy Departments, knew that an attack was imminent, they didn't alert the military. At least that's the claim by the military. Believing that a surprise attack would create an overwhelming consensus for involvement in both the European and Pacific Wars. In his evidence of Roosevelt's duplicity, they cite the fact the administration failed to notify the military of decoded Japanese messages indicating an attack would take place on December 6th or 7th. 
Well, it's interesting to note, the first historian to argue in favor of the back-to-door-to-war theory was Charles Beard, who has written a number of, of books, and Charles Tansel, author of Backdoor-to-War. Fifty years later, journalist and presidential candidate Patrick Buchanan gave uh, continuing life to the theory by assisting in his book that contrary to accepted opinion, the U.S. didn't need to fight in World War II. The country is forced into a conflict with the Axis powers only by Roosevelt's determination to aid Britain and Russia against Hitler. According to Buchanan, if we didn't get involved in the fighting, Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union would have destroyed each other, which would spare the world the post-1945 Cold War and at least delayed the development of the nuclear weapons that came out of World War II. Now, most mainstream historians reject the claims as reductionist and unconvincing. They do agree that Roosevelt engaged in deception and manipulation to advance his foreign policy, and he was prevented from seeking a formal declaration of war in the first years of fighting because of public support for U.S. neutrality. Then they go on to argue this doesn't show Roosevelt intentionally provoked the Japanese to attack the U.S. or that he allowed the country to be surprised at Pearl Harbor. But part of the problem is mainstream media long ago learned how to manipulate the American public. And they're never going to admit that they had a hand in what happened, either pro or con, going into World War II. And although there's no question Roosevelt was concerned about public support for entering the war, this wasn't because he didn't, he couldn't obtain a declaration without it. Uh, in late 1941, before the Pearl Harbor attack, it was thought he had enough votes in Congress to pass a form of declaration of war. Rather, according to most historians, his concern was that the Americans wouldn't be able to sustain such an enormous effort with all that sacrifice of blood and treasure, unless they were united in the spirit of a moral crusade. Accordingly, in his major foreign policy decisions regarding the war in Europe, and he was careful not to commit the country to greater involvement in the fighting than public opinion would support. The draft, the destroyer bases exchange, and the Lend-Lease program, convoys, and economic sanctions against Japan were all undertaken with Roosevelt's belief the public regarded them as vital to American national security. Most historians regard these incremental decisions not as an attempt to drag the country into the war, but rather as efforts by Roosevelt to exercise all other options in keeping with his deep reluctance to enter the fighting with the firm support of the American public. But you have to stop and think. Unless he firmly believed... We needed to be in the war. He wouldn't be waving no red flag in front of the Japanese bull, as he did all throughout 40 and 41. Now, he did admit to Churchill and Stalin it would have been difficult to gain public support for war without the Japanese attack. And according to most mainstream historians, he tried to avoid a war with Japan throughout 41 fearing it would limit Americans' aid to Britain and lengthen the struggle with Germany. 
in a discussion with the of the American embargo on Japan at a cabinet meeting, November 7, 1941. He said the administration should strain every nerve to satisfy and keep on good relations with Japanese negotiators. We were in active negotiation with the Japanese to defuse the issue at the time of the Pearl Harbor attack. He told Secretary of State Cordell Hall not to let the talks deteriorate and break up if she can possibly help it. Let us make no move of ill will. Let us do nothing to precipitate a crisis. But on the other hand, he was a good one at using um, words to cover up his true intentions. Now, Roosevelt and his advisors did foresee a Japanese military action December 6th and 7th. The broken codes made it clear something was going to happen. However, most historians agree they didn't know where the attack would come. And accepted Japanese diplomatic military messages indicated an attack somewhere, but information suggested the attack would be British, Dutch, or French possessions in Southeast Asia. And it obscured other information suggesting Pearl. However, as most historians point out, it is implausible to think that Roosevelt, a former assistant secretary of the Navy, would have exposed so much of the U.S. fleet to destruction at Pearl Harbor had he known an assault was coming. But keep in mind, at the time, a lot of our uh, mainline battleships had seen better days. And the day of the uh, carrier was uh, fast approaching, and our carriers were, interestingly enough, gone from Pearl when they should have been there. If his only purpose was to use a Japanese attack to bring U.S. into the war, he could have done so with the loss of just a few destroyers and some airplanes. In fact, he appeared to be generally surprised by the target, if not the timing of the Japanese attack. According to one scholar, Roberta Walsatter, this is partly the consequence of a tendency among U.S. military leaders to see the fleet in Hawaii as a, a deterrent rather than a target. It's also the f- result of a failure by U.S. military intelligence to measure Japanese capabilities accurately. We didn't believe the Japanese air and naval forces could mount a successful attack on U.S. bases in Hawaii. Now that is mainstream thought. They overlooked the fact that a few years before, as a war game, we ran our own attack on Pearl Harbor and decimated the place with less air power than the Japanese used. Now, most historians claim there was no backdoor to war, no conspiracy to trick the American public into a conflict if it, it didn't wish to fight in either Europe or Asia. Uh, American involvement in World War II was the consequence of the country's rise to global power and the resulting need to combat aggressive, undemocratic regimes that were hostile to American institutions and the survival of the U.S. as a free country. But I would point out that nine times out of ten, these mainstream historians didn't serve a day in uniform. They don't really understand the parameters involved, but... One of the, when I was in college 50 years ago, the uh, Vietnam was booming. And some of the greatest warmongers I've ever met in my life 
were professors who had never served. The thought of serving upset them terribly, but they wanted everybody else to go and serve because we had to fight for freedom. You know, it's, you go fight for freedom so I can enjoy it, was their basic attitude. The controversy um, about whether or not Roosevelt um, knew the attack was going to come at Pearl has continued to be relevant to the American political debate. Despite suggestions Congress was validating its theory, its defense authorization bill in 2000 included a provision that would dissolve Admiral Kimmel and General Short, the military commanders at Pearl, of any blame for the Japanese attack. In that author, in that um, portion of the bill, it declared they weren't provided necessary and critical intelligence that would have alerted them to be prepared for the attack. The uh, we had the bulk of our, our naval power sitting at Pearl on that particular Sunday morning. The battleship, and we had a number of them there, were considered the capital ships of the World Navies. And that began about 1860 until the 40s when it began to, to um, have its position taken over by the aircraft carrier. Battleships, and the reason the Japanese wanted to get them, Combined large size, powerful guns, heavy armor, and underwater protection with fairly high speed, greater cruising radius, and their ultimate uh, development, they were able to hit targets with great precision at a range of more than 20 miles. And they could also absorb heavy damage while remaining afloat, continuing to fight. The, the part that uh, nobody really considered is the fact that uh, the support necessary for um, keep that many battleships uh, in action is um, also uh, quite uh, large. You know, there's been a number of um, discussions about the fact that uh, Churchill actually lured Roosevelt into World War II. It's believed by many The uh, that um, the British knew um, that the Japanese were going to attack, and there are a number of people who believe that Prime Minister Churchill concealed advanced knowledge of the planned Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor from Roosevelt in order to ensure the attack succeeded and the U.S. got into the war against the Axis. 
the uh, supposedly the you know, the British had a much more developed um, intelligence system than we did at that point in time, and supposedly they had picked up uh, discussions among the Japanese forces about the planned attack. And let's not forget, several Japanese carriers and support ships literally disappeared uh, around the beginning of December. Now, the, uh, and of course, everyone came to defend Churchill and claim he wouldn't do such a thing. But when you're looking at the possible destruction of your country, you grasp at straws. And it's, of course, uh, should be kept in mind that um, after the war, and Congress is great, great in 2020 hindsight. They created a Pearl Harbor Committee September 6, 1945 in the Senate and September 11, 45 in the House. And they issued their report June 20, 1946. And the um, August 28, 1945, President Truman issued an executive order directing several government departments and the Joint Chiefs of Staff to take such steps as necessary to prevent release to the public information related to a U.S. crypto analysis program to to crack the Japanese coded transmissions. Now, when Congress formed the Pearl Harbor Committee, members objected to the withholding of information by the executive branch. So as a result, the president revised the order directing some individuals to make available to the joint committee any information in their position material to the investigation. But that still requires that a decision be made that whatever somebody knows is uh, material to the investigation. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, the final report... Um, and when we talk about all these 10 of these investigations, uh, this was one of the major ones. And they, uh, they said the ultimate responsibility for the attack and its results rests solely on Japan. And the democratic policies and actions of the U.S. provided no justifiable provocation, whatever, for the attack by Japan on this nation. Now... Senator Brewster and Senator Ferguson penned a minority report dismissing the majority's conclusion as illogical. Uh, the, the majority report said uh, the Hawaiian commands and the intelligence and war plans division of the war Navy departments made errors of judgment and they were not derelict in their duty. And it rejected the claim that President Roosevelt and top advisors tricked, provoked, incited, cajoled, or coerced Japan into attacking the U.S. in order to get us into the war. In the end, all these investigations, through a lot of words at the question, 
and did not actually answer anything. They confused the situation more than anything else. The final report noted interdepartmental misunderstanding, which prejudiced the effective effectiveness of intelligence. And though its findings weren't conclusive, the committee's recommendation had a lasting effect. The majority report recommended centralizing operational and intelligence work and drawing more clear-cut lines of responsibility among intelligence agencies. Now, some of these recommendations became law when Congress passed and the President signed the National Security Act in 1947. This law consolidated the military into a newly formed Department of Defense directed by a Secretary of Defense. It also established the CIA and established the U.S. Air Force. Now, there are others that said that the Act of 47 was also in response to, it also created the NSA. Um, that the, uh, it was in response to uh, the, uh, the Roswell UFO crash. Now, the mainstream media has its heroes, and it does everything it can to protect them, as we've seen with the Hunter Biden situation. In spite of the his own laptop that talked about collusion with the president, uh, Twitter was literally forced to refuse to allow any discussions on this platform. Now, keep in mind that depending on whether you are in the party says Roosevelt knew or the party says Roosevelt didn't know, um, Neither side is going to relinquish what it considers its moral high ground. But they do say the White House might not have expected, um, the White House probably did expect some kind of attack from Japan, but they thought it would happen in the Philippines. Roosevelt had been tightening the screws on Tokyo to hinder the Japanese conquest through China instituted a full embargo on exports to Japan, froze Japanese assets in U.S. banks, and sending supplies into China along the Burma Road. What did you think Japan was going to do? Uh, Roosevelt apparently believed economic restrictions could get Japan to reduce its ambitions in Asia. I mean, sanctions, of course, are better than war if you have time to let them apply and if there's somebody sensible on the other side. But unfortunately, Roosevelt was wrong in that assessment. And the Japanese were mistaken in thinking they could remove the threat from the U.S. Navy and their operations in the Western Pacific. Now, Pearl Harbor, according to both sides, brought about unintended consequences. You've, according to those that think Roosevelt hung the moon... They don't think he believed the Japanese would retaliate militarily. And the use of then new naval weapons such as aircraft carriers is still being explored. And nobody had sailed a fleet of carriers 4,000 miles across an ocean to raid an enemy's fleet while it sat at anchor, which is exactly what the Japanese did. Now, for their part, the Japanese didn't think we could 
rebuild our navy and launch a bloody fight out of an island across the Pacific, which we did. It was these types of bad assumptions and poor intelligence on both sides that got the war started uh, to the level that it achieved. The um, But I do believe Roosevelt knew far more than he um, let on. And then... I don't think he believed it would be the type of attack it turned out to be. But what I do think, based on all the evidence, and I've read a book a day since I was old enough to carry one, and military history has been something that I have loved delving into. And of course, the attack at Pearl Harbor was one of the things we studied when I was uh, getting ready to be commissioned. And one thing became absolutely clear. With a war going on in Asia and the Pacific Fleet being a main deterrent against the Japanese advances, why, and with all the having broken the codes, why were we not at a higher state of alert? There were radar installations set up on various hills across Hawaii, and they reported the um, the Japanese planes coming in, and the individual who received the report knew that some B-25s were coming in and discounted um, the report of the incoming planes because he didn't want to disturb anybody. The B-25s were coming in from a different direction. And the uh, a lot of um, potential warnings were ignored because well, nobody's going to start a war here. So that's my view on this December eighth about what happened in 1941. So, that being the case, I want to thank you all for being with me. Watch for my books up on Amazon. We're going to get them up there sooner or later. And we're also uh, going to be doing a show on Amazon. So, until tomorrow, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show, saying have a truly great evening.